Have you ever heard people say, life is a journey, not a destination, or some form of this? Anyone? Ever heard people say that? Life's a journey, not a destination. This phrase suggests that life or the purpose of life is not to arrive at some point, to arrive at a destination, but rather to enjoy and reflect upon all the experiences we have along the way, that life is made up of just things that happen along life's journey and path. A life well lived is not one that arrives at the very end and goes, finally, I'm here, but rather it's one that's able to look back and go, I've experienced this, I've done that, I've had this kind of journey along the way. Now that might work for some philosophers and romanticists amongst us, but it doesn't really work for 11-year-old children heading up to Queensland on a long car drive. If you've been one of those kids, I've been one of those kids, you know, when you're heading up to Queensland on a 13 or 14 hour car drive, the journey doesn't really do it for you. You don't really think to myself, this is a great experience of a car journey right now. You're having in mind the destination, and that's why you're putting up with this long and arduous car drive. And the thing as kids we always say, I'm sure you said this to your parents in the car along the way up, and how your parents know that you didn't enjoy the journey itself, was that you asked, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Yeah, that was the repetitive question every half an hour, every hour. Are we there yet? And that just shows that in that moment, it's not about the journey at all. It's about the destination. And you could just wish, I could just zap my fingers and I would be in there in that moment, be at my destination. I was one of those kids, it didn't matter how many Macca's stops we had along the way, it didn't matter how nice and pristine and pretty the countryside was, I just wanted to get to Queensland because the destination was going to be glorious. Noosa, the Sunshine Coast, sand, surf, sun, pristine beaches, and to top it off as a young kid, Queensland's version of Foxtel, Ozstar. That's what made it very exciting for me, that I would get to experience cable TV when I never had that at home. So as a kid, for me, it wasn't about the journey, it was about the destination that made me want to go on this journey, that made me willing to put up with the journey itself. And so what drives us along any kind of journey is not the fact that it's the journey itself, but rather the destination that's in our sight. And we see this in Luke's account of Jesus' life. There is a moment in his story where the destination for Jesus comes into a sharp focus, particularly in Luke chapter 9, we read this, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It's the destination, Jerusalem, and whatever was to happen there that would drive Jesus forward along his journey. But as we'll see, it's not a straightforward journey. Much happens along the way. And as we follow him on this road, we'll see how it's not only preparing himself for what he is to face in Jerusalem, but he's also preparing us as well. As Jesus journeys on this road, he teaches his disciples about what it means to follow him. And we're invited to follow him on this journey, to learn and experience what life is like and about according to Jesus. To join Jesus on the road is to become his disciple, is to become his apprentice, and to learn everything we can about life according to to Jesus. Now, of course, our road is different to the disciples' road. They're heading with Jesus to Jerusalem. 
But we are on the road, Jesus, towards the new creation. The time when Jesus will return and make all things new. He will bring his kingdom about, the kingdom of God, to experience life, love, and peace forevermore. That is the destination that we are on this journey towards. But much is to happen along the way before we get there. We have a whole life to live according to the way of Jesus before we get there. And so it's appropriate then that as we begin our journey on this road with Jesus, we ought to work out what motivates us to travel with him on this road. And it begins with a question that we ourselves might ask about the destination, which someone else asked here in Luke 13, verse 22. It says this, He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? You only ask that kind of question if you're concerned about being one of the few, right? And if you hear the answer is yes, only a few will be saved, then you're thinking, great, what do I need to do to be one of the few to make sure I am in? But as we'll see as we go along in our passages tonight, Jesus' answer is not a simple yes or no. It's much more complex than that. When it comes to being saved, it's not about how many people will be saved and working out whether or not we're one of those few people. Rather, as we'll see, it's about how you respond to Jesus' invitation to follow him on this road. What matters most is how you respond to his invitation to be, he, to be his disciple, to be his apprentice, to sit under his feet and learn the way of life from him. And our passage this evening warns us what happens when we choose to refuse that invitation, what happens when we choose to ignore Jesus and his way of life for us. There are two warnings in particular as to why we should respond to Jesus positively and seek to follow him along the road towards salvation that I can see here in this passage. And it's my hope this evening that if you're a Christian, that you'll be encouraged, that you will see the way of Jesus is so much better than the way of the world. And if you're not a Christian tonight, or you're not sure, then I hope that tonight is an opportunity for you to put your trust in Jesus, to follow him on this road. Because that road is the road that leads to the kingdom of God, where life, joy, peace for all eternity is on offer. And so the first warning, attaining salvation is more difficult than we think. Jesus begins to answer this question in verse 24. This is what he says, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. He hasn't really answered the question whether many people will be saved or not, or, or few. Jesus wants to focus on the fact that salvation is very difficult. It's hard to attain. It's like entering through a narrow and tiny door. And so he exhorts all of us to make every, every effort to try and get in through this door. Literally, he says, you've got to struggle, you've got to contend, you've got to fight to enter through this narrow, tiny door. Why? Because many will try, but won't be able to. Or more literally, they won't be strong enough. What makes the door to salvation so difficult to enter through? It's our inability to accept the fact that we can't save ourselves. Ever since Adam and Eve 
bit into that forbidden fruit, we have believed that we don't need God to sustain our life, that we don't need God to save us from calamity, to ensure our security, to help us live beyond death, that we can do that all ourselves. And this is the, the air we breathe in our 21st century culture. If we have enough money, we can buy the home we want to protect us. We can have all the insurance products to ensure our safety. We can have the job security, the car, to make sure that we can prolong our life for as long as we possibly can. And even in the face of death, we even might hope to try and beat death in some sort of way by living on as a legacy in people's hearts and minds or enshrining our memory in a plaque or a statue somewhere. So we kind of live on in that sense, maybe not physically, but in some sense through people's memory. We even talk about death not as the final thing, but rather as the next stage in people's journey, that they're out there somewhere looking down on us, wherever they are. We can't accept the fact that we can't save ourselves, and we do anything we can to prove that. But Jesus' words here cut across all of that, and it's difficult for us to accept that. It's so difficult for us to accept that. When Jesus says make every effort to enter through that narrow gate, he's not suggesting salvation is up to you, that you can somehow make your way through it. What he's saying, rather, is that make every effort to recognize that you can't save yourself, that to get through that gate, you won't be able to do it. You've got to trust in me. Only I, only my way, will you be able to get through that gate. Only if you trust in me, follow me, apprentice under me, and then you'll make it through that gate. A life of trusting in God, in Jesus, to save us. And he says this because your whole being, the nature of our humanity ever since Adam is orientated towards believing we don't need God to save us. We breathe this in our culture today. We must realize this. We are fed that lie every single day, every single moment. Whenever we turn on Netflix, whenever we go to a cafe like Rollers, whenever we go hang out with our friends who don't go to church, whenever we play sport, watch movies, read books, everything, watch the news, we are amongst a culture that says that God, you don't need God to be saved. You can do it yourself. We are amongst a culture, we are breathing in a, a secularism that says we don't need Jesus to save yourself, that you can do it yourself, that you can experience life-giving joy in your own way. And you know what the danger is? is is that we experience moments like that, life-giving moments apart from God. I mean, why would you be at church on Sunday night when you can go to North Head right now and enjoy this glorious sunset with some cheese and some wine and with someone that is close and dear to you, and in that moment have a life-experiencing, a joy-experiencing moment that does give you life? It's hard to see past that and to see that we actually, that's not enough, that we need Jesus to save us, Jesus to give us eternal life, Jesus to help us get towards this destination that is the kingdom of God. And so that's his first warning. Salvation is difficult. It's harder than you think. So therefore, you've got to work hard at trusting me. You've got to work hard at realizing that only following me will save you. 
The second warning is this, the gift of salvation won't be forever. If you look at verse 25, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. So not only is salvation like a narrow door that's hard to get through, this door will eventually close one day and we won't be able to get into it. Jesus begins to kind of paint the picture a little more here. This door is a door to a house, a house that contains a feast going on. The kingdom of God is like this feast, this dinner party that is happening for all eternity. This is a common analogy uh, for Jesus to use. He uses it quite often. In the previous chapter, he talks about a wedding reception. The kingdom of God is like this wedding reception that we need to be prepared for, to attend. And the next chapter, we, we hear about the kingdom of God being like a banquet that we are invited to and must attend. You see, the kingdom of God is this massive, glorious dinner party that will make kinfolk look lame, that makes the Met Ball Gala look boring. This is an everlasting feast, a feast with our Creator Himself, God. And here Jesus is saying, whether you're ready or not, still deciding upon whether to attend this great feast in the kingdom of God, the door will shut eventually. And access to salvation and life in the kingdom of God will be cut off. There will be those outside who want to come in after the door is shut, but Jesus will say to them, I don't know you or where you come from. That's pretty shocking, isn't it? That's pretty devastating, especially if you think you are going to be invited in. Imagine you go to a friend's house to a dinner party of theirs or someone you know and you rock up a little late, the door's shut, but you think that's okay, I'll just knock and they'll let me in. And the host comes to the door and says, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. Please leave. You would be devastated, upset, angry and bitter going, what? And then you'd be pretty confused as well. What do you mean you don't know me? What do you mean you know where I come from? You see, that's how the people here would have felt. They say to Jesus, we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. They're like, Jesus, I know you. You lived in my street. Dude, we've been to the pub together, had a drink. What do you mean you don't know where I come from? I'm a Galilean like you. We support the same football team, the Galilean Seagulls. I saw you at that last game where they beat the Jericho Tigers. What, is, what do you mean you don't know who I am? We worked on the same house together. I'm a plumber. You're the masonry guy. We, we did it together. What do you mean you don't know who I am? What do you mean you don't know where I come from? And yet he's relentless. And he says, I don't know you. And I don't know where you come from. And then he adds this, depart from me, you workers of evil. The problem here is that these people outside the door have mistaken being known by Jesus, following Jesus, with being in close proximity to him, being familiar with him. They think because they grew up on the same street, they have dinner with him once, they have the same heritage as a Jewish person, they have the same promises that were given to Jesus as well, that somehow they will waltz into the kingdom of heaven as if it doesn't matter, as if their life didn't matter thinking, well, I'm well connected. I know Jesus. We're on the same street. Work the same job. They presume upon all these things whilst being ignorant of the fact 
that they are the one thing they needed to do, which was to follow Jesus, to trust in him, to apprentice underneath him. They might have had all of the benefits, but their life was otherwise full of evil. They didn't live in the way of Jesus. They lived their own way, following their own selfish desires, seeking their own interests. And it is a great evil to do that and then presume that Jesus will let you in despite your life and despite the fact you chose not to follow him. In our world, many people presume that they are cool with Jesus, that Jesus is their role model, he's their guru or their guidance counsellor or someone they often sometimes think about as to, to look up for quotes. You know, people have a very positive relationship when it comes to Jesus for most people in our secular world. We often hear the mantra that I like your Christ, I like your Jesus, but I don't like your Christians. Most people are pretty cool with Jesus and they think as long as I have that pretty cool outlook towards Jesus, a positive outlook, then he will let them in that Jesus would forgive them and let them into the kingdom of heaven. But the reality is, is that they presume and in the end, they won't be let in because they haven't followed Jesus. They, have all the, they might think they have all the benefits, but otherwise their life is full of evil. You see, in this passage, their presumption and ignorance is a warning to us not to presume we're fine or to ignore what is required of us to be saved. We must follow Jesus if we want to be saved. Otherwise, when we do come before the door ourselves, we will realize what was required is too late. And we'll see in verse 28 that the consequences are severe. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And of course, the danger is the same for us who attend church. We can think that coming to church on Sunday night going to growth group, reading our Bible every single day, that these things will help us give the edge when it comes to being saved. Now, all these things are good things, and I definitely encourage them. But if we do these things and miss the main thing, following Jesus, apprenticing underneath him, then all these things don't matter. None of it matters. As one commentator says, outward contact means nothing. Inward reception is everything. Trusting in Jesus, following him. And that's why at our church, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Because proximity, familiarity is not enough. You need to follow and trust in Jesus. And so the question tonight is, where do you stand with him? Where do you stand with Jesus? Do you follow him with your whole life? Are you seeking to live according to his way of life? Or are you simply in close proximity, ticking the boxes? We need to ask ourselves, are we willing to take the journey that Jesus wants us to take so we can get to the destination that he wants us to get to, the kingdom of God? We must realize we can't save ourselves, nor can we presume upon external things to give us the edge. The door of salvation will close one day, and only those who trust in Jesus and trust in the saved them will enjoy the feast in the kingdom of heaven. It might seem easy just trust in Jesus, but the reality is it's hard. We live in a world that's constantly vying for your heart, Constantly wanting to pull on its strings and, and, t- and convince you you don't need God to be saved. You don't need Jesus to be saved. And that's why all the more we must devote ourselves along this journey 
to following Jesus, to apprentice underneath him, so that we can arrive at last at the kingdom of God and that great feast and that great banquet where we can enjoy love and joy and peace for all eternity. But the question still remains, will there only be few? Will only few people enter into the kingdom of God? Jesus clarifies the answer in verses 29. He says this, People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. He gives a picture here of many people coming into the kingdom from all over the world to enjoy the feast that he has prepared for them. And so how do you reconcile what he says in verse 24 that many will try and enter in but won't be able to? And what he says here in verse 29, that many will enter and join God and join him at the feast. Well, I think the answer is in verse 30, which we read is, Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and those who are first will be last. The reason why Jesus can say many will be saved, but also many will try and fail is because he's talking about two different groups of people. In verse 24, there are many people who expect to be saved, to be part of the kingdom of God on that day, but they will not be able to enter into that kingdom. They'll be left outside. These are the ones who said, Jesus, I ate with you, I drank with you, you taught in our streets. These are the people who had the promises of God, the Jewish people. They were first in every single right. They had his word, his law, his promises. But they chose rather to presume upon their relationship with Jesus, the proximity rather than trust and follow him. And on that day, they will be last. However, there will be many who weren't given the promises, who didn't have God's word, who chose, who didn't know who Jesus even was until thousands and thousands of years later. But when they hear God's word, they choose to trust and obey. They choose to follow Jesus to apprentice underneath him because they know they can't save themselves and they must trust in Jesus to save him. And so they will take their seat first in the kingdom of heaven. And those who were first, they'll be last. And in fact, they'll be denied entry altogether unless they trust in Jesus. And so the point here is that there is no special provision. You could be the first in line but miss out entirely. No amount of promise, no amount of money or status, no amount of outward contact or familiarity that you have with Jesus. None of that matters. No how much you attend church every single week, no matter how much you read your Bible every single day, no matter how much you attend growth group, although please come, we love you when you come to growth group. No matter all these things, what matters most is that you trust and follow Jesus. You journey with him. You live life according to his way and you trust that he will save you and bring you into his kingdom. And the good news, the good news is that many people will be there. It's not going to be a few, many people. And so we don't have to worry. My in or my out, just trust Jesus and you'll be one of the many. That is great news. But we must heed his warning here. It's not about our outward contact, it's about our inward reception. It's about are we willing to follow Jesus no matter what the cost is, to go along this road, this journey, and follow him and trust him to save us.
If you haven't trusted Jesus today, then I want to invite you to do so. I want you to put your faith in Jesus to know that if you do so, you will be saved and you can trust that you'll be one of the many people. And I want you to follow him. He wants you to follow him along this journey. He invites you to partake in this journey. And if you're a Christian, you're already a follower of Jesus, that is great. And I want to encourage you to keep at it, to strive hard, to keep trusting in Jesus, to follow him every single day, to say no to the world and yes to what is better, the way of Jesus which leads to the kingdom of God. You see, the journey of Jesus is not only worth it for the destination, but as we'll see throughout our series, it's worth, it's worth it for the life that we get to live now in the present we get a taste, even as we are here right now, we get a taste of what is to come. And we're going to see more of that as we continue to go along this road with Jesus over the next coming weeks. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your love. We thank you that you sent your son to save us from our sin so that we could come into your kingdom. We pray, Lord, that we would just trust in you. We would follow you. And no matter what, we stay along that road with you so we can enter into your kingdom. And we ask, Lord, that you help us to see your goodness and love now as we journey with you. That what we are doing now and what we do each and every